have probably heard of vegetarian and vegan diets, but have you ever heard of a carnivore diet? Today's guest heretic, Dr. Sean Baker, will share his experience with eating just meat and will learn should you be leaning more towards the carnivore side of the food plate, what are the ups and downs of such a regimen and why are there so many ex-vegans in the carnivore camp. That's coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Meet Gina. Gina wanted to lose weight, so she spent two years fasting, detoxing, and dabbling with vegan diets while practicing a shit ton of yoga to lose 25 pounds, but it took so long that nobody noticed. Then, Gina started Frenching her food by eating fatty cheeses, butter, sausages, and red meat, and lost 15 more pounds in only two months. Everybody noticed this time. Frenching your food unlocks the riddle of weight loss that skinny French chicks use to slim down, look young, and live longer despite doing everything wrong. Be like Gina. Start Frenching your food today by visiting nutritionheretic.com forward slash Frenching. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Aloha and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic, today talking about the latest diet sweeping the vegan nation. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it is. <laughs> it is um, um, let me give you the background on this. Uh, you guys have, have heard me uh, say before that... Um, you know, pretty, there's so much bashing of the animal products, and when you really dissect every food, you can find something wrong with it if you so choose. Uh, from an apple to broccoli uh, to really, you know, flax seeds, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're you're going to find something nasty in there, something you don't like. And I know that we've talked before about anti nutrients. Uh, things that that work against us. This is one of the reasons why people uh, can't eat nightshades, for example. You know, particularly if they have arthritic conditions. So a couple months ago, um, a friend of mine told me about some other friends of ours locally who are doing this carnivore diet, and she's like, "I don't think I could do it." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's that sounds kind of rough." <laughs> but then I saw them, and um, and actually. These guys were telling me about the virtues of the vegan diet, and um, yeah, but now they're carnivores. Uh, and this is beyond paleo. It's, uh, it's, it's beyond keto. It's zero carb. It's 100% meat. And uh, that brings us to today's guest, Heretic, which was the uh, driving force and influence on my friends. 
uh, you know, their skin is clear. Their their skin is is nice and tight. You know, like nice and tight, like they're twenty years old, but they're not. And so, um, this is uh, our guest heretic today is Sean Baker. Welcome to the show, Sean. Adrian, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on. So, um, a- am I right or am I right? Uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been since I since I learned about you. I've been kind of going in a lot of. Uh, carnivore groups on Facebook. There's a lot of vegans in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of former I vegans, I should there's, say. <laughs> there's a lot of former vegans. Yeah, there's definitely that. In fact, I even have a, a group specially dedicated called, it's called the Restoration Health Vegan Recovery Group. We've got a thousand members of, of ex-vegans that have switched out of veganism. And some of them are doing a, pure, a purely carnivorous diet. Some of them are just back to including meat back in their diet because they, you know, they had problems with the vegan diet. But right. yeah, I mean, there there's no shortage of that. You know, it's kind of funny because, you know, obviously this is not your typical diet. It is, you know, what many people would consider very, very extreme, particularly relative to what most of us eat today in modern Western society. Sure. Now, you know, w- whether it's extreme to all people on earth at all times, I would argue that that's not the case. You know, you could probably go to uh, rural Mongolia 50 years ago and they would probably say, yeah, that was, that was carnivore diet. Yeah, that was Tuesday. You know, that was pretty typical for a lot of people. And so, <laughs> Um, but you know, you know, a lot of people that are attracted to veganism, you know, they 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 do. That's that's also an extreme diet. So they're they already have this sort of personality type that says I'm willing to do extreme things to see what happens. And so when that doesn't help them, you know, for those that it doesn't help, and it you know it helps some, doesn't help them all. But the ones that doesn't work for them, well, well, I'm going to try the next extreme extreme thing. And so a lot of them end up on on a carnivore diet. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was one uh, woman in particular, I remember, she was an ex-vegan, and she lived with her vegan sister. And so she's doing zero carb, her <laughs> sister's doing all all carb. And uh, she just was lamenting, you know, the constant headbutts <laughs> the two of them were having in the kitchen. Well, I mean, you know, again, I think it could be complimentary if you go to a restaurant, you know, you eat the sides and I'll eat the steak type right, of thing. But, for but sure. I mean, if, you know, if it, there, there's obviously some ethical overtones in that that, uh, that may not jibe well. But I mean, as, as far as, you know, can they get along symbiotically? Uh, I think it, it might work out well. You know, one eats, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you eat this stuff and I'll eat that stuff and it works out pretty well. So, uh, but yeah, there's, it's definitely a radical departure from what most of us are used to. You know, you know, this show, The Nutritional Heretic, you know, obviously it's considered heresy. If you would have asked me about a carnivore diet three years ago, you know, I would have said that's pretty darn crazy and until I did it and have done it for two years now and uh, have come to a very different conclusion. Right, right. Well, I, I saw Alpha. <laughs> that means anything to you. Yeah, I and, saw that movie twice and took both my kids, and I thought that was a wonderful movie. I was like, look at that. You know, I mean, for you guys who don't know, I mean, it was a wonderful movie about. Uh, I mean, it's just a good movie, but it but yeah. it sort of sort of has a sort of an artistic. Uh, uh, impression of what life was like for for man, you know, twenty, thirty thousand years ago, uh, in in Ice Age Europe, and I and I think there's probably some pretty decent uh, uh, historical accuracy there, based on what I've read. If you watch the movie, right. and as you notice, there weren't Whole Foods stores there, there weren't blueberries and avocados and bananas in, exactly. in where they were where they were hanging out. So, you know, anyway. Right, right. Uh, you know, my my take. I have a, I have a couple of different things um, as far as my take on uh, you know where the fruits and vegetables lie in our in our diet. Um, but before I get into that, and maybe we won't get into it. But uh, one thing that I'm hearing from you that I don't hear from a lot of the uh, advocates is that you are not. You don't, or, or at least you're not coming across as being particularly dogmatic about this. Um, 
where I I'm hearing a lot of the same kind of angst, if you will, from particularly from many of the former vegans, like you were saying, they're, you know, used to being on these radical, you know, kind of extreme diets. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people bashing other people for not being carnivore enough and that everybody needs to be on this if they ever hope to live a decent life. And I'm not hearing that from the way you're talking. Do do you think that most people, you know, will benefit? And if so, you know, are you on a mission to change everybody to do this? No, I think it's an option. I think it's an option for people. Uh, I don't think, you know, I, despite what, you know, some people, I don't think it's particularly dangerous. I, I don't think anyone's going to die from eating ribeye steaks for three months, you know, to try mm-hmm. and see how it, how it does for them. So I think that's certainly fair to say that, uh, you know, it, you know, as a physician, you know, because my background is as a physician. So I come to this looking at seeing people you know, getting better from some really bad diseases. You know, we're seeing a number of people with, you know, pretty significant, particularly autoimmune diseases, where those things get better, which is not typically the case. You know, most of the time, these people are put on immunosuppressive drugs, corticosteroids, they're very expensive, they don't work very well, they're they're side effect prone. Uh, But we're not, you know, we're seeing people with, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, psoriasis, uh, asthma, you know, Crohn's disease, ulcer colitis, all these things getting significantly better in the diet. So I'm really interested from that perspective. And so I think you can use it as a tool to try to help yourself and heal yourself. And then many people that do the diet will find that, you know, they, they get better physically. And a lot of this probably has to do with, with gut permeability. That's what the science, the little science we have around it now sort of indicates that it probably helps significantly with gut permeability. And so once your gut permeability has been restored to, to, to normal to what it was when you were born or when you were a kid, then you probably have a greater capacity to deal with some of these other foods. And so I actually encourage people, or well, I, I shouldn't say I encourage, I don't discourage people from adding other foods back into the diet once they've kind of solved those problems. You know, I, you know, there are plenty of people, you know, people have, criticized, have been criticized me for saying, well, why don't you tell everybody to eat a balanced diet? I said, there are plenty of people out there that can tell you how to eat a balanced diet. That's not what I'm about. I'm about this is how you do this particular diet. Use it as a tool. If it works for you well, great. I'm glad it worked for you. If you want to stay on it, that's fine. If you want to go back to something a little more moderate, that's also fine. You know, but what I found in practicality is the vast majority of people that try this diet will find that they they see some sort of health improvement. Most of them do. Some people don't, but most do. The vast majority of the people will end up after a period of time stepping away from the diet. But what they will find out is they they kind of stay carnivore-ish. They send they find out and they discover that, you know, meat is a very important part of the diet. Uh, eating a lot of it tends to make them feel better, and so they'll 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 say they'll be kind of somebody's coined the term carnivore adjacent, where they, <laughs> you know, they mostly eat meat, but then they'll throw in some berries here and there, some avocados here and there, or you know this and that, and I think that's totally fine as well. I'm not like I said, I'm not dogmatic about it, but I do think, you know, more than anything, this represents. You know, here's a problem. We've always said. Not always, but for about the last maybe 100 years or so, we've really kind of had meat in the crosshairs as being this awful food. You know, this food we've eaten for arguably 2.5 million years yeah. or longer. <laughs> Compared to now, grains and yeah, vegetables, right? Yeah, right. Is, yeah, right is now, you know, when, you know, think about this. When we, when human beings 
adopted a grain-based diet, you know, circa around 10,000 years ago, you know, it varies on place to place, but, but approximately then, we didn't do randomized control trials to say, is eating grain in the human diet now a good thing? We didn't do that. We just did it out of necessity because we ran out of food. I mean, we ran out of these big megafaunal animals that went extinct, so we didn't have those to eat anymore. So we had to eat, we had to get our nutrition from somewhere. And so, once we adopted a grain-based diet, you know, we ended. And, and if you look at the anthropological record, we see that human beings became uh, not as robust. I mean, we shrunk by about six inches on average. Our bones became thinner. Our muscle attachments became smaller. Our brains actually became about 200 cc smaller, which wow. I don't know that mo- most people know that, but that's pretty clear in the fossil record. So, you know, it was it was arguably a detriment to the human health, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, but we just did that because we had to. It's like there weren't, weren't expensive. And we've just accepted that for the last 10,000 years because that's what we've known. And so now we just assume it's normal because that's what we've always done for, you know, you and I know what our, our parents ate and what our grandparents ate. And that's about it. But, yeah. you know, if I were to go back 200 years ago, you know, there weren't Twinkies. There weren't Cheetos. There wasn't Crisco. There was, you know, you didn't have... 6,000 foods to choose from. You know, even 200 years ago, you might have had, because you didn't even have refrigerators. So you only had a handful of local foods you could have eaten because there wasn't mass transport. So then our, our, you know, our food variety was very limited. But then if you go back even further, you know, if we keep pushing the clock back, now we're back before agriculture. Now all we've got is wild animals, some berries, you know, some, you know, maybe some, you know, some roots and stuff like that, maybe some nuts here and there, you know, grains probably came in there a little bit early, you know, but, but we didn't really eat it in mass quantities right. prior to about 10,000 years ago. And so, you know, we have to look at our assumption today is you need a balanced diet. You need to eat a little bit of every single food group and you got to have a colorful rainbow, rainbow colored plate and you need to have uh, you know, five fruits and vegetables. Now it's 10 fr- fruits and vegetables a day. You know, we keep adding because, you know, I, I would argue it's because we're, we, we've emphasized an inferior source of food and we've kind of went away from the, the most dense nutritious source of food, which is animal source food. And right. since, since we've gone more and more plant-based, you know, Americans eat about a 70% plant-based diet already. Exactly. So we're already there. And so, that to you know, unfortunately, it's harder to get nutrition from plants. It just is, and I know people argue with that, but I mean, it's pretty clear. Uh, you know, it's 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 difficult to extract the nutri- nutrients. The nutrients aren't always in the correct isoform that we need. We have to convert it. Some people do it better than others. Some people don't do it as well. There's any nutrients. There's, there's fiber. You know, it's hard to get some of the nutrition out when it's bound up in fiber. As you you know. It's kind of interesting. If you look at the food stats in the United States from food that's wasted, 40% of all the food in the United States produced is wasted. It ends up in a landfill. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of that is fruits, vegetables, and baked goods. That's what ends up in these landfills. So we've got this production model. We're making all this plant-based food. 40% of it's going in the trash. And then when we consume it, much of it ends up in the toilet, you know, because it's all that fiber and right. it passes right through us. So it's like, you know, are we, is it really the most efficient source of nutrition? And I, and I think that's an interesting question. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. Um, and, you know, where do you fall then? Because, I mean, I know how I feel about this, but I'm sure you, you know, like you were saying before, you catch heat from all these different groups uh, when it comes to things like climate change, you know, like, do, do you feel that we're in that, that by eating more animal foods and, you know, or eating solely animal foods that we're con- becoming more part of the problem or yeah that's a good topic and I've, I've spent a lot of time actually talking to people about this you know because you know most of us you know we get our education about climate change from whatever we see on the news often it's see we get it from these sort of propaganda-ish films that are that are highly skewed t- towards one way and so this is the 
There is no doubt whatsoever that animal agriculture does impact, you know, global uh, greenhouse gases. There's no, there's no doubt about it. They, they certainly produce that. So the question becomes, I mean, there's people out there that say, you know, that man doesn't affect global change at all. I don't necessarily believe that. I think most of the scientists say, you know, the global, uh, you know, climate change man, man is contributing to. And so, if, if that, you know, so if you believe that, and I think most people do, you know, then you have to say, okay, so what's driving that? It is very clear when you look at, you know, the people that really understand this, they will say that fossil fuels are the prime driver of climate mm-hmm. change. You know, if you go back, right. you know, even 100 years ago and you look at the relative contributions of greenhouse gases, 100 years ago, animal agriculture was much higher relatively because we didn't have all these other industries. So, so now animal agriculture actually over the last several decades has actually declined as far as what they what they what they admit as far as greenhouse gases, exactly. particularly in the United States. The United States are, you know, if we look at this, and I know there's 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 concerns about how we raise the animals, but just from a solely uh, carbon footprint, greenhouse gas footprint, and when we talk about that, we're talking about carbon equivalents. You know, we're talking about methane, we're talking about nitrous oxide, we're talking about all these other things that are that are in there that, that all goes into this carbon carbon equation. If we look at that, the numbers from 1970 to now are down about 20%. The water usage is down about 20%. The land usage is down about 20%. The feed usage is down about 20%. Our wow. cattle industry, our cattle inventory in 1970 was about 130 million, I think. And now it's under, it's like 90. So we've, we've dropped the number of animals we use. We produce more beef because of that, because we've better breeding practices, better ways to keep them healthy, better ways of predicting which animals will, will calf on time, you know, we, you know, better feed efficiency, all those things have, have, have contributed to that. But more importantly, you know, if we look at the numbers worldwide, according to the FAO, you know, which is UN based, yeah. they say that animal agriculture accounts for about 14% of the world's greenhouse gases. So that's, that's not, that's not small potatoes. That's a different, decent amount, 14%. However, much of that, in fact, most of that contribution comes from underdeveloped countries like sub-Saharan Africa, you know, some of the poor regions in Asia, you know, where we have all these cattle and the efficiency practices are very, very poor. You know, if we compare that to, so that's where most of those greenhouse gases are admission. Now, if we go to the United States and we say, and the United States, by the way, is the largest producer of beef in the world, right? Our greenhouse gas footprint, you know, in the United States, you know, from cattle, cattle emit 1.9% of our Mm. greenhouse gas emissions in the United States. You know, so all the greenhouse gas emissions that that the United States makes, cattle only only represents 1.9%. So if you and I and every American in the United, you know, in the United States were to give up eating meat, right, and, and all those animals could vanish from the planet, you know, Mm -hmm. if we could magically make them all go away, the impact on worldwide global greenhouse gas emissions would be 0.3%. It would mm. be almost nothing. So, I mean, the, 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 the rhetoric going out there that the best thing you can do for the, for the environment is to stop eating meat is not true. I mean, that's the problem. Now, if you live in Sudan, and you know most of the most of the industry is agriculture. You know, you know there are rural, there are a lot of rural things. Right. Then if you give up meat, you're going to have a bigger impact. But guess what? You're also going to starve to death. Yes. So I mean, we have to get in a position where we we put this into the actual perspective. You know, and so that's where this there's a lot of there, there's a lot of political and 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 sort of 
maneuvering that's going on here to, to sort of sway you and I to say this is the best thing we can do for the environment. Should we continue to, to, to raise the standards across the world? Absolutely. Should we continue to uh, improve efficiency? Absolutely, I think so. Should we continue to improve welfare of these animals? Absolutely, we should. Should we throw it all out? and eat soy burgers or eat lab-grown meat, I, I, I seriously question that yes, as, as a solution. I think there's problems with that. Um, the other thing, you know, people talk about, you know, you're, there's rainforest destruction in South America. That's absolutely true. And the animal agricultural industry contributes to that in Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. If you're living in Brazil, uh, and there, there's some reasons for that. You know, one, there's some corruption issues with Brazil. I mean, you know, I, I, for anybody listening in Brazil, I think probably Brazil's got some growing people. But there are some corruption issues yeah, that are doing that. Sure. There are problems with the way they do it. They are actually getting a little bit better, where they're they're using less and less land. Uh, much of that that much of that that land is cleared for for wood. I mean, they use the wood for furniture and building and all that stuff. So it's it, there's more reasons than just animal agriculture to go into that. But by you and I eating eating a, a hamburger in the United States, it has almost zero impact on deforestation in Brazil. Also, so you have to understand regional differences versus worldwide differences. Mm-hmm. You know, the U.S. only imports about 0.4% of its beef comes from, from Brazil. So there's a tiny amount. In fact, it was banned up until a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. One of the things, you know, when I talk to the cattle ranchers, and they've been pushing for this, is there's something called, they call it cool, it's country of origin labeling. Uh, they, you know, uh, it, for a few years, we they had that, you could, you could buy a, a pack of beef in the store, and it would say, this is a product of this country. And, you know, some people said, I only want to buy U.S. beef, right? You know, or if I don't like U.S. beef, I only want to buy Canadian beef or Australian beef. But that was on there. That was available. Now that was that was taken away. And so now people can mix in beef from Brazil, beef from Mexico, beef from, you know, wherever. Mix it in a, in a burger and not tell you where it's from. And so the, the farmers in the U.S. particularly, or the ranchers are particularly upset about that. But that, that was repealed, I think, in 2016. And so, you know, there, there's something that, that, you know, if you're really worried about deforestation in Brazil, it'd be nice to know that you're not buying beef from Brazil. But that's the only way you're going to make a difference there. If you look at the, the forest worldwide, the, the actual data on forest in, United, in, in North America and Europe is actually the forest has, has recovered. There's actually more forest now than there was uh, 100 years ago, which is kind of an interesting side note. Right. So, so I think we can't discount the environmental argument, but we have to understand it. You know, they talk about water usage with cattle, right? One of the problems when they talk about it takes, you know, 85 billion gallons of water to make an ounce of beef, you know, some ridiculous number that right. they, they quote. Exactly. What they don't realize or what people don't understand is the vast majority of that is something called green water. And that's that's rainwater. Right. And what they say is if a cow is standing in the field and it rains, you know, all that water is accounted for the cow using. Now, that rain would have occurred whether the cow was there or not. Yes. Right? And most of that rain goes in the ground. It's then reabsorbed and recycled in the atmosphere. They don't count that. You know, so it's, it's you know, they, they have these funny ways of counting it. And so I've talked to, uh, there's a guy named uh, Frank Mitloner, who's, who's one of the world's leading experts on greenhouse gas. He's out of UC Davis. And I think he's been appointed as the CEO of the UN FAO organization for the next revision in 2020. So it'll be interesting, but he is highly critical of the way they, they, they've kind of rolled out this, this information. So, uh, yeah, so all the stats that, that, that you've been led to believe are really, you know, one-sided and manipulated. So it's very interesting, but I do think we have to, we have to be aware of that. But I mean, if you really want to save the planet, you know, maybe an electric car, maybe ride your bike to work, or maybe, right. you know, maybe you take mass transit. I think that is a better, that's, that's a more viable solution to me than taking the entire population and 
taking nutrition away from them. I think that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Healthcare, the healthcare industry contributes 10% of our ga- greenhouse gas emissions. So if you and I are not sick, you know, Adrian, if you and I are not spending our time in the hospital, you know, we're not contributing to that greenhouse gas emission. But if you and I are sick and diabetic and all these other things, and we're in there getting our toes amputated or, you know, whatever, God forbid, happens, we're contributing to greenhouse gases that way. So the question becomes, what's more important? Does the 1.9% of greenhouse gases that cows emit, uh, is that as much as the 10% that hospitals admit? Right. So that's, that's you know, you got to, you got to put it in big picture perspective. Right. Well, you know, the other thing that I was thinking while you were talking is that uh, when my husband and I first started dating, he, his previous girlfriend was, was a vegetarian and he had no shortage of methane gas stories from this woman. (laughs) You know, she was like, she was so gassy from her, her, her diet. And I kind of wonder, you know, is, uh, you know, transferring it from cattle, for example, to humans, is that going to make a difference because uh, well you, you know see what I'm and honestly there's actually been studies done on that and really I mean you know it's funny to talk about but honestly human methane emissions is really inconsequential I mean okay. really it, it, it's not a valid argument I, I it'd be, it's kind of a funny argument to make but right, right. vegans up there vegans up there having you know gas emissions all over the place is not going to impact global warming that okay. much now right. I would argue I would argue you get I enough of them. <laughs> oh, I would, I, well, even enough of them. I mean, you know, it's still if you look at cattle emissions or, or right. anything else, or even horse emissions. You know, because this is another thing people don't talk about. We got nine million. We have nine million horses in the United States, right? And they're emitting methane, and they're either going through feed, and they're right. they're you know, but nobody wants to get rid of the horses, you know. But yes. we've got you know, we've got nine True. million dairy cattle, and we've got the same amount of pe- cows milk, making milk, but we want to get rid of those guys. So the people that are that are that are calling for you know animal uh, the, the sort of the abolition of animal. Uh, agriculture don't say anything about the horses. We've got right. 140 million cats and dogs in the United States. Cats and dogs take up enough food resources to feed about 70 million people. Yeah. No one's talking about, oh, we got to get rid of cats and dogs. So, I mean, these people, they, they're very selective on how they want to yeah. enforce sort of the animal uh, animal uh, how how we do how we deal with animals. But back to the methane thing, you know, this is this is an argument that I would make. I don't think. As a, I don't think digestion should involve bloating and gas and right. pain. I don't think that's a normal function, right? Yeah. You wouldn't say if I was breathing and it was painful for me to breathe or I was wheezing or coughing. No one would say that's normal respiration. You know, if you were, uh, you know, if your circulatory system, if you had pain in your blood vessels or claudication or chest pain, no one is going to say that is a normal part of uh, you know, human, uh, you know, cardiac function, right? Or, 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 or so, but the, but the fact that we accept pain and, and, dis, and discomfort during digestion and say, well, that's just normal. I don't think we're designed that way. I really don't. And I mean, there are people, vegan activists that say, no, that's just normal. You know, humans grew up outside, they were farting all the time and, and that's normal. I, I don't, I don't believe that. I think you're not supposed to have pain. And this is one of the things that people that go on a carnivore diet, they almost, you know, particularly once they've kind of transitioned, you know, past the first couple of weeks, they say, I never even notice digestion anymore. I rarely have gas. I barely even fart. You know, so I think that is probably more in line of how we're designed. If we look at the fermentative capacity of animals, and there's studies, Mm -hmm. there's a nice study out of 1978, which I just posted on Instagram today, that talks about the fermentative capacity of cows and sheep and pigs and dogs and cats and humans. You know, cows have about 85% fermentative capacity based on their their digestive anatomy. Uh, pigs have about 50%. Uh, 
uh, fermentative capacity. And when I say fermentative capacity, that that basically means the the ability to, to deal with plant fibers, to ferment those plant fibers mm-hmm. into short chain uh, fatty acids. Dogs and cats contain about. 15 to 16 percent humans contain about 15 per 16 percent so we're very much aligned with cat and dog uh, anatomy as far as percentage and ability to ferment right. uh, these plant products and so our, our you know we, we have you know you saw alpha I mean, we evolved alongside a lot of these dogs and so we had a, kind of a similar diet and if you look at what a dog's natural diet is it's a wolf's natural diet and a wolf in the woods is not out eating uh, you know, they're just certainly not eating tofu and they're not eating blueberries and they're not eating grains. I mean, they might eat grass when they want to throw up, but beyond that, I mean, they, they eat meat. I mean, that's, and so I think there's some, there's some pretty good clues that show us what we're, we're mostly designed for. You know, and I think that, uh, another thing that's uh, missing from that, uh, ecological, uh, argument is that so much of the landmass of the planet is, um, in areas where you can't farm vegetables and, uh, you know, grazing, particularly sheep and goats on some of these rocky hillside areas uh, is proving to be very beneficial for, you know, people who live in those areas uh, because they're eating down that grass. And um, I've told this story before on the podcast uh, when I was in France over a decade ago now, um, we stayed at a farm that was located in the hills uh, somewhere in central France. And uh, they were telling me, the farmers, they were telling me that during the summer, Many of the sheep and goat farmers have their their animals basically flown up to like these really high alp regions where they eat down the grass and they nourish the soil so that it prevents avalanche during the winter months. Um, because between you know agitating the soil and making it uh, uh, hospitable to microbiota and to um, you know absorbing fluids, uh, as well as not providing this kind of you know, grassy slick for the for the melting ice to slide off of. It was uh, preventing avalanche issues, and it's been a while since I've heard <laughs> of some avalanche in Europe. To be honest, yeah, um, there is a lot of work. You know, guys like Alan Savory, Joel Salatin, and other people—they're they're big advocates of you know what they call regenerative pasturing. And I think there's certainly a, a significant role for that, and I think we should explore that and utilize that when and where we can. Not all. Uh, farming situations or ranching situations are amenable to that from from what I understand you know if you're a Montana you know if you're if you're raising cattle in Montana in the winter um, you know sometimes the weather sort of changes what you can do but you're right. absolutely right I think we do have to take uh, account of the soil I mean the soil can uh, be a carbon sink I mean there's some estimates that they can they can mitigate about 20 percent of the carbon that's emitted from the animal so I think that is definitely a good thing and we need to include that and it's an important part of the story that's left out you know they don't when they talk about carbon emissions they don't talk at all about soil sequestration of, mm-hmm. of, of carbon and I think that's that that is a part of the equation um, the you know, th- these animals have always been part of our ecosystem. And, you know, th- you know, I think they're, they need to be there now. You know, we can argue that there's, there's better or worse ways to do that. And I think that's, that, that argument is, is playing out, but I think, um, you know, the answer is not in my view to grow these big monocrops because, you know, I, there's, there's a push now for this, you know, there's, there's two things going on. There's, you know, we're going to eat these fake meats that are made out of soybeans or pea protein or wheat gluten. And I think that's just a disaster for human health. Oh, I, think, totally. no, I think, I think no one should be eating that garbage. I mean, it's this beyond meat in my view is beyond stupid. You know, uh, I mean, that, that's what I, that's what I've said, you know, but I mean, but then, but then people say, well, what, let's go to this 
uh, you know, this lab-grown, this synthetic meat stuff. And so I think there are some problems with that as well. And I think maybe, you know, maybe it turns out it's fine and, and, and that may be a solution for some people. I think there's a lot of people that are just not going to do it because they, they're worried about it. But I think there's significant uh, concerns around that industry as well. I mean, right now, you know, the medium that they have to grow these cells in is bovine fetal serum. And so they have to kill a pregnant cow, harvest the fetus, you know, get the blood and continue to do that over and over again to oh, get geez. enough to grow these animals. So it's not free of any animal death at all, right. you know, but, you know, assuming they get past that, maybe they'll develop a serum that they can do it. Right now they have to continue to soak these things in an antibiotic medium. So you guys that are worried about antibiotics, these things are continuously soaked in antibiotics to keep them viable. They're giving all kinds of growth promoting factors, which we aren't sure how they impact uh, the human, human uh, physiology yet. So we don't know about that. There's also, you know, this sort of, uh, how do we keep these cells alive? Well, you have these invincible, uh, these immortal lines. And that's the same thing they do with tumor cells. So they have these tumors that have been breast cancer cells that have been around since the 1960s. They keep growing them right. over and over and over again. So the question is, is there a problem with those cells and eating those types of things? We don't know the answer to that yet. And so, you know, there, you know, there's, again, the other thing is, you know, they need amino acids to, to produce protein, you know. Right. A cow will take, you know, they'll munch on some grass, which you and I can't eat. They'll munch on, you know, most of that. They'll turn that inedible stuff, that inedible, inedible protein into food that we can actually eat now. Now, to get those amino acids, they have to harvest it from some sort of plant source. And typically what they likely will use are things like peas or soybeans. So you have these vast, vast monocropped areas of peas and soybeans to produce the protein that goes into feeding these factories that, that's then being converted into this you know, this chemical mixture, this we'll one day call synthetic meat. And, uh, you know, they, they like to call the term clean meat. Actually, that, that term has been outlawed. They can't call it clean meat Thank anymore God. because <laughs> the industry the industry said no because, you know, by calling that clean meat, you imply everybody else's meat is dirty, which I think I think it was appropriate that they fought that term. So it, it can no longer be called clean meat. At least it can't be labeled that way. But so we've got that, you know, that coming on, you know, it's, it's it may be, I, I, I fully expect that to come to fruition. I think that will happen whether or not that's healthy for the planet, whether it's healthy for human physiology. We probably won't know for 50 years. And so mm -hmm. for those people that are willing to take that experiment, um, you know, you, you know, you will know soon. But I mean, it's 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 concerning to me that 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 we're I see, um, you know, this sort of sort of acceptance that we're all just going to go there without it without even thinking exactly about it, you know, because, i mean that's kind of how, how we got into this mess in the first place <laughs> right i mean we, we accepted the low-fat dogma in the food guy food pyramid and we didn't question it you know it was it was uh what was his name uh uh mcgovern you know was sitting there mm -hmm. i don't have time i don't have time for science i'm a politician i gotta make a decision now right i mean that was his famous line when then we when then we adopted the food pyramid and then arguably we've had some problems with that since then you know um but, you know, to, to, to say we're going to all go plant-based, we're all going to eat this synthetic meat for those that want to eat still eat meat, I think that we really need to question that and we really need to sort of have people that will step up and say, wait a minute, this is the nice thing about this carnivore diet. You know, not that I advocate everyone do it or anyone even do it. I mean, I think you do it if you want to, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help you with that. But I think what we're seeing with the carnivore diet is that meat has been demonized based on mostly epidemiology with really bad confounded epidemiology, which shows that, you know, hey, I'm a meat eater, but guess what? I'm also eating French fries and sucking down Cokes and eating the, you know, the smoothies exactly. and frosties. And so we never, we've never really been able to separate that out, right? So now we've got these people that are just eating a carnivore diet. They're only eating meat. They're not eating the rest of that crap. And guess what's happening? 
they're losing weight, they're getting leaner, their blood pressure's getting better, their digestion's getting better, their uh, high sensitivity C-reactive protein's normalizing, their glucose is stabilizing, uh, they're getting cardiac uh, calcium scans like I did, and it's zero. You know, we're seeing all these sort of really healthful things coming out of that. And so you have to start to step back and say, wait a minute, maybe meat's not the bad guy. Maybe it's all the that we've put in the diet since, you know, 1910, the Crisco and the yes. high fructose corn syrup that came in the 70s and, the you know, the, the, the processed, you know, the snack wells and all this garbage and all the preservatives and all the added, you know, whatever we've got in there, you know, this chemical mishmash. Maybe that's actually the problem. And it's not something we've been eating naturally for, you know, gazillions of years. And so I think that's really the nice thing about this diet. We're hopefully going to get some studies out of this. I mean, there's there, that that is starting to take off now. There, I think there's people that are they're taking upon themselves. Hopefully, I can be I can help facilitate that. Hopefully, even the beef industry itself, I think, should fund some of these studies. I mean, you know, even though there's going to be people criticism, but I think right. these studies need to be done. And if they won't fund it, you know, right now there's people that are doing this that are willing to self-pay for their test. And, you know, it, 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 it's happening. And I think right. it's going to continue right. to happen. And I think, uh, um, you know, it's, it's fun to see. What's what's your stance on quality? You know, do you differentiate between the GMO meat that we have here in Hawaii versus um, pastured meat? Um, yeah, so that's a very interesting and controversial topic. So clearly there are nutritional differences on paper uh, for you know somebody that says I only eat grass-finished beef that's antibiotic-free and hormone-free versus you know I, I just eat whatever I can afford. And so I think there there is you know you have to have the, the discussion of what is practical for most people. Right. Right. And so what I have seen just observing now thousands of people, I have not seen a big difference. In a general sense, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's just as many people that are reversing their diseases, eating what they can afford, even though if it's not the high end, most expensive stuff versus people that that, that don't have access and, and the financial means to, 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 to buy that other stuff. So I've not seen a big clinical difference. Now, on paper, you could say, well, uh, you know, grass finished beef has a little more zinc. It has, a, you know, a little more favorable omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. It has a little bit more conjugated linoleic acid. You know, there, there are things that make you say that maybe it might be more beneficial, but we, have, we haven't formally tested that yet. Now, it is kind of interesting that there was a couple studies done on grass-finished versus grain-finished beef done by Texas A&M University several years ago, and they were looking at things like blood pressure and, and cholesterol and, you know, lipid markers. And actually, the grain finish came out just t- slightly more favorable. Really? Not, that that was, not that it was any big deal. And mm-hmm. I, it's just one study, and, it, you know, I, I don't put too much faith in that. But so I haven't seen a huge difference in, in human uh, health. Now, again, different arguments about ethics, different arguments about the environment, um, you know, I think there's bigger fish to fry, quite honestly. You know, if you're worried about some microscopic nanogram quantity of estrogen that might show up in an antibiotic planted, implanted animal, you know, this is an interesting statistic. If you eat, you know, as a male, I'm a male, so if I make estrogen, you know, as a male, I mean, we all, we all you make testosterone, I make some estrogen, you know, it's different amounts because we're different sexes. But as a male, I make a certain amount of estrogen every day. Hopefully, I make more testosterone, but the the amount that I make every day for me to get that much from a, from beef that has been implanted, um, I would have to eat 27 cows a day. I mean, wow. 27 entire cows to get what I naturally would make. So, so it's really a, a tiny amount. And even if I were to eat cows that do not get implants, I would still get a significant, you know, a small amount from that because the cows still make natural hormones. I mean, just right. like you and I do. Oh, yeah. So you're still getting some in there anyway. So again, 
does it make sense to worry about you know one percent when when the, when the big picture you know I'm not eating the sugar I'm not eating the 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 crappy fried food and vegetable oils I'm yeah. not eating the the Twinkies and the Oreos what's more important and so I think people get so hung up on these tiny tiny minor things mm-hmm. you know and make a big deal out of that when they should be looking at the big picture and I, that's what I really I, I really like to look back and say what is the big picture here mm-hmm. and you know we can argue about you know analytics and those things that, that's a different discussion but when we just limit it to human health you know and, and what you can afford as, as a person you know in, in well you're in where in Hawaii are you by the way a uh, big island Big island. I was there. And by the way, not all of our meat is GMO. It's just uh, there's there's some ranchers. You were talking about uh, you know the um, uh, basically truth and labeling of, of right. meat, and that's that's my my beef with them. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, is that they're you know many of them they're raising their animals actually on the mainland, and they are being fed nothing but GMO corn and soy, and then they ship. 10% back and ship the, you know, sell the rest on the mainland and say that it's Hawaii beef. So I've got, I've got multiple issues with that. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are, there are, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, people, they'll shell out big bucks for something that says grass finished and or grass fed. And, you know, I mean, you don't know what you're really getting. I mean, the laws around that are very easy to, to circumvent. You know, it just means, exactly. you know, if you say the animal's grass finished, it means it has access to grass. Exactly. It doesn't mean they ate it, you know, <laughs> it doesn't mean, you know, and, and it's also, there's exception for weather, you know, if it's cold out, and it's snowing, and there's no grass. Well, guess what? They're gonna they're gonna get fed something else. So I mean, again, I that's why I I really, you know, these people that are spending all this money on this stuff, I sometimes say, well, you don't even know what you're really getting. So does it actually make a difference? So it's important. I think we need to do those studies. I think we need to do these randomized control trials on people eating, you know, grass fed versus grain fed versus antibiotic versus GMO. Those studies need to be done in humans. Yeah. Uh, to really get an ascent, to really get a sense of of what we're doing, and I think. You know, it's just a matter of who wants to do it, who wants to fund it. Um, you know, it's very easy to say this sort of makes me nervous, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's fine. Uh, but, I mean, again, the same thing with the synthetic lab meat, you know, when that comes out. I, I you know, I just have a, a sort of a cognitive bias that I think that, to me, doesn't sound like a good idea. But it may turn out it's perfectly fine, right. and I'm willing to accept that. But I think that those studies need to be done, and they need to be convincingly done uh, before – I would say, you know, this is what we need to do. And again, that's aside the other environmental issues, you know, the, the monocropping and all the other crap that goes into that. So, I mean, it, there, there's so many facets and levels of this stuff that it's, it's hard just to get hung up on one issue and without considering all these other variables that go into that. This concludes part one of our interview with Dr. Sean Baker. Join us next week when we will delve more into the consequences of modern food sourcing, the heresy on meat seasoning, and the most elusive aspect of being a carnivore, pooping. That's next week on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved NutritionHeretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at NutritionHeretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutrition heretic and on twitter at nutri heretic 
Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you.